Vox Quick Hits. with many problems, one problem reigns supreme, the climate emergency. The stakes have never been higher. The odds of bipartisan agreement on this issue have possibly never been lower. But there's a new president in town, and he's hot for science. We've already waited too long to deal with this climate crisis. We can't wait any longer. It's Earth Week at Today Explained. We're going to talk about what's in store for this planet. The future of our future. Welcome to Earth. Week on Today Explained. It's Today Explained. I'm Sean Ramos-Firm, and here we are at the end of our Earth Week. We are wrapping up our coverage with a reminder of what's worth protecting and with a real-life plan to protect it. Or... At least a plan to protect like 30% of it. The plan is called 30 by 30. It's kind of a big global push. Katrin Einhorn covers biodiversity for the New York Times. There's broad scientific consensus that we are experiencing a global biodiversity collapse. Like a million plant and animal species are threatened by extinction. I mean, it threatens like entire ecosystems. This biodiversity loss is not just a tragedy. It's the single biggest problem we face. A less wild world is less able to provide for our needs. Less able to maintain dependable weather and seasons. Less able to absorb our impact. And so what to do about it? And there's broad consensus that we need to save the nature that still exists. These big intact swaths of, you know, tropical rainforest and these other important ecosystems need to be preserved. And so, you know, a bunch of conservation organizations have joined with governments uh, led by, you know, Britain and France and Costa Rica to really try and get the world to commit to set aside 30 percent of its land and water by 2030. And it's going to be hammered out at the UN Biodiversity Meeting in Kunming, China this fall. And why 30? Why is that the number? You know, scientists would say that really, given the scale of the crisis, we need more. Actually, it should be more like 50%. But I think 30% was what was agreed upon just in terms of sort of political viability. Hmm. And because it maybe has a ring to it, 30 by 30? I, you know, they seem to love the ring because uh, the last <laughs> UN sort of push on this front was 20 by 20. It was like 20 targets to hit by 2020. 2010, the International Year of Biodiversity. This is our chance to inject a new resolve into safeguarding and repairing our life support system. Countries of the world did not do a good job hitting those targets. None of the 20 objectives set a decade ago by some 150 countries have been fully met and only six were partially achieved. If anything, I think that there is, both with the climate crisis and the biodiversity crisis, 
it seems like the world is really coming to realize the, the real problem that we're in. And, and so there does seem to be like a lot of interest in, in trying to make this happen. You mentioned that really scientists would prefer 50% of the planet to be conserved. But if by some miracle this 30 target is hit, will there be relief in the conservation movement? Will people feel like we're good? It will certainly be a victory. I mean, look, it's it's not going to be easy, in part because every country is different, right? So not every country is the same when it comes to biodiversity wealth. Here in Tambopata, Peru, E.O. Wilson once found more species of ant in a single tree than there are in all of the British Isles. And scientists have seen this pattern all over the world. More species exist near the tropics. And so, you know, what does it look like for countries that have already cut down a lot of their old growth forests are now going to tell tropical countries, you can't cut down yours, right? It's, it's, It's a really tricky, thorny thing. Conservationists really hope that the world can kind of come together for a common good and figure out a way to make this fair. And that's what they will try to do in Kunming, China in the fall. I imagine part of the question here is about what preservation really looks like. Tell me what that means. Is it just you put up a you know barbed wire fence and no one can touch this land? Or is it more nuanced? Yeah, not at all. There's actually a growing consensus that that is the wrong way to do conservation. Huh. That is a traditional way that it's been done in the West, right? There's this idea of sort of pure wilderness. John Muir changed the way a country viewed its wilderness. Not a resource to be harvested, he argued, but a treasure to be preserved. In fact, like what a whole body of research is showing us is that lands that are managed by indigenous people are really biodiverse. In fact, they showed that they are at least or more biodiverse than like national and state parks. Hmm. National parks or these, you know, let's say parks that are that are set aside only for nature, a lot of them actually don't have a lot of biodiversity, right? So they're called paper parks. They exist on paper. But in fact, because of poaching, because local communities aren't bought into this idea, or because um, they're not being actually managed appropriately, they're kind of nature wastelands. And so even like the sort of really like legacy conservation groups have come around and said, look, like indigenous rights need to be respected. These lands need to be managed sustainably. Um, It's not about kicking people off the land. Hmm. Tell me a bit more about what we know about how biodiversity functions in lands that are managed by indigenous communities. It's not like there's one way that indigenous peoples manage the land, right? On the contrary, there's a vast array of indigenous cultures, all with their own relationships, their own worldviews, their own cultures, right? But there is a uniting theme of making a living off the land sustainably because you live there and you want to preserve it for future generations. You want your children to be able to eat the fish from the same waters that you eat the fish from. And that's not the case when you think about our global economy and corporations. You know, there's a desire to extract as much profit as possible and, you know, you can move on if necessary. So that's a big difference. It's about local communities making a living 
from nature without taking too much. And do we know how much land worldwide at present is is managed by indigenous communities? Yeah, this number is somewhat contested, but everyone can agree that it's more than a quarter. More than a quarter? Yeah. One example that comes to mind for me because of what we've done on the show before is the Amazon and the sort of ongoing fight between, for example, the Brazilian government and indigenous communities in the Amazon over land control. Since the 1970s, the Amazon has been steadily deforested. Nearly 20% has already been wiped out. Is there something sort of in that particular instance that can teach us how this might work across different countries and cultures? You know, there's many indigenous groups that live in the in the Amazon region, and they're such a great example of this. I mean, they are a really... Um, striking and, and unfortunately tragic example of this, right? Uh, in that they are often putting their bodies on the line to protect their land. A Wawao are a tiny band of just 120 indigenous people in the Amazon rainforest. They're patrolling what's meant to be a protected reserve. But more and more, they're discovering incursions. This track was carved through the trees to steal timber or create new farms. I'm scared sometimes, he says, but we are fighting. Six weeks later, Paolo Paulino Guajajara is now dead. I spoke with one coalition of indigenous groups from Amazonian countries. They believe that 30 percent is nowhere near enough. Hmm. So they want 30 by 30 to be at least 50 percent. They think that indigenous people managing the land is really the way to to sort of staunch this crisis that we're in. Okay, so I'm not really sure how the management structure of this 30 by 30 movement works, but do indigenous people have prominent seats at the table? Not when it comes to this UN agreement. Hmm. It's a structural problem because countries are the ones that have the votes. It's hard enough to get these countries to agree on anything, and, you know, there's so many different indigenous groups that, that would be party to this. I mean, I don't even know how that would work. But I do think that people understand that indigenous people have been better stewards of nature. They are going to be directly affected by this. They are both directly affected by the loss of nature, as well as whatever agreement is reached in China. And so s- certainly people are paying lip service to the rights of indigenous people and the importance of listening to their voices. The question is, will that really matter in the actual negotiations? The United States seems like it'd be well-suited to promote the voices of indigenous communities in this effort, considering the historic appointment of Interior Secretary Deb Holland as, you know, the first ever Native American to lead a cabinet agency. So as a Pueblo woman, I was raised to feel connected to the earth and to carry on the legacy of environmental stewardship of countless generations who came before me, who took seriously their obligations to pass our natural treasures on to future generations. What's the U.S. involvement here? President Biden ordered his team to, you know, look into how we would set aside 30 percent of the U.S. by 2030. But it's a little tricky because we are not party to this U.N biodiversity agreement. I mean, if you think of it a little bit like the Paris Agreement for Climate, there's also this biodiversity agreement. They're they're not exactly the same, but we can kind of think of them as sort of one for climate and one for biodiversity. 
And the U.S. hasn't signed on to that. So the U.S. will go to China, will we'll sort of weigh in, will actually be very active in the talks, but it, it doesn't have a vote. Like, it has never signed on to the treaty. It's actually the only country in the world other than the Vatican. So even without the Pope and the United States signed on, it does sound like there's enough momentum here to give this 30 by 30 push some legitimacy. And it also sounds like it's just a more realistic idea of what conservation could be, you know, a way to use land while protecting it instead of walling it off and putting up a sign that says, stay out. I think it's definitely a step forward. It's a better understanding of how humans and nature interact. We in, in the United States, in the West, we, we make a distinction between humans and nature. We've used that distinction throughout this conversation. But, you know, I was speaking with First Nations leader in Canada, Stephen Nita. I'm part of the Dene Nation of uh, First Nations people in northern Canada. Uh, relatives to uh, your, my southern brothers and sisters down in Apache and Navajo country. And I kept talking about, you know, Indigenous folks protecting nature. And he kept saying, we're not protecting nature. We're part of nature. My people, anyways, refer to Earth as an island. And our creator as Nu Tsine. Nu is uh, the term we use for an island. Say an island on an ocean or an island on a big lake. Earth, to us, is an island within the sea of the universe. And in any island, there's a finite resource to support the, the life that exists on that island. If you overextend the use and, of that resource, that island becomes uninhabitable. And we are nearing that point. It is frustrating that Indigenous people don't have a vote at the United Nations level. Science has proven that Indigenous people know what they're doing. Therefore, they should be given a better and a bigger platform so that they can share their knowledge. We have an opportunity today to, to bring forward Indigenous knowledge systems and value systems as how we relate to Mother Earth. You know, historically, yes, we created uh, protected areas and parks for animals and excluded people. But we haven't been systematic to protect enough and the right type of uh, lands to secure a healthy environment. That's the challenge and that's the opportunity. That was an excerpt of Today Explained. To hear the whole enchilada and others like it, check out Today Explained wherever you check out your podcasts.